right, welcome to The Double Shot. James Fitzgerald today and something a little bit different. Uh, my uncle, through the business that I worked for, interviewed Damien Hardwick a couple of weeks ago and the interview was so good that I said to John, I said, can I please share this with The Double Shot uh, listeners? And, and thankfully he said, of course. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Damien Hardwick is like almost royalty in Australian sport. He won a couple of premierships as a player for many years, but his, his, his success has more so come from being a coach. Over the past 13 or 14 years, he's coached the Richmond uh, Football Club, took them from a period where I think in the 25 years before he became their coach in 2009-10, they had, had missed finals 22 out of 25 years. So a bit of a broken culture, broken club. And then he completely turned them around where they won uh, the AFL premierships in 2019, 21 and, and 22, I think it was, or something along those lines. Um, so enormously successful. Um, uh, in fact, of 2017, 20 and 21, there, there we go. Massively successful period. I first heard about... Damien Hardwick and the Richmond Football Club and the special things they were doing when I read Ash Barty's autobiography because she, between uh, breaks on her, for those not familiar, Ash Barty, um, famous tennis player in Australia, played tennis and then got burnt out, went to cricket. And while she was playing cricket, she stumbled across the Richmond Football Club, some of its club leaders, and then... Um, went back into tennis using some of their philosophies and won Wimbledon and the Australian Open. Damien Hardwick in this interview gives us an insight into the performance mindset. And if you're not into sport, it will not matter. I've literally taken nearly four pages of notes and hardly any of it is to do with sport. I think that the performance mindset applies to whether you're wanting to perform in sport for sure, but whether it's to do with um, wealth building, health and fitness, career, it does not matter. You're going to get so many takeaways out of this interview with Damien. I'm going to come back at a couple of stages because there's two really, really important things that I feel can get a little bit lost if I just played the interview from start to finish. So I'm going to come back halfway, uh, talk about a really important point, and then I'm, I'm going to um, finish with a, a point at the end. So it will be slightly longer than most of the podcasts that we do, but I really do recommend it. It, it is one of the best interviews I've ever heard, and I've, I've, um, and that probably covers even all the books I've read in my life. Like there's just so much in this. I had to share it with you. Hope you get a lot out of it. If you enjoy the interview type of podcast, please let me know. I'm happy to try and do something uh, like this uh, throughout the year, but but it's not something we've normally done. Um, yeah, guys, I'm not going to hold us up anymore. I want to get into the interview. Enjoy, and I will be chatting to you at a couple of different stages throughout. So a huge welcome to uh, Damien Hardwick, two times um uh, premiership player, three times coach. And in the modern era, by the way, uh, that puts him in a very, very elite group. Uh, welcome to Custodian, Damien. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, cheers. Let's talk about the last year because a lot of what I want to sort of unravel is around mindset, how we cope. You know, a lot of people talk about success. 
but we're defined by how we cope with with the the the, the troubles and things like that. So yeah. it's, this time last year, you're preparing for pre-season, and then six months later, you're in Italy, and six <laughs> months later, you're 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 back running the Suns. Yeah. So. <laughs> Life's great, isn't it? Yeah, it was a unique experience. I was, uh, I think probably this time last year, I was in New York, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Sort of in between that, it went, yeah, coaching Richmond, preparing, resigning, Europe, now Gold Coast. So it's been a, uh, it's been a, an enormous 12 months and, um, one of incredible change for myself. So it's, uh, you know, it's a new exciting challenge, but, um, there weren't, I wouldn't say, there are a lot of uh, bumps along the way last yeah. year, especially. I think we all we all you know struggle with maintaining clarity, and yeah. the opposite of clarity is that self doubt or fear, and then that becomes that energy that you transfer. So you get into that that stage where you know um, where you, you the club aren't aren't getting what you're trying to transfer, or the fact that it, it doesn't become relevant, uh, you know, relevant. Yeah. But touching on that, how you know what what little strategies did you? Try to get the clarity back to sort of keep the, the 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 lights back on inside. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was really clear about myself was was understanding. I always begin with the end in mind, and then work my way back backwards from that. So, look, even when we were in a, a situation where things weren't going too well, the the outcome is is a thing that you can consistently you know strive towards. But thinking about the outcome can cause incredible anxiety yeah. within that. So. We always spoke about the fact that the process of winning, yep, everyone wants to win, no question. You know, everyone wants to win, make money, build dreams and all these sort of things, but it's a process about how you get to that. So I was very strong and was very clear about what that looked like. Now, the fact of the matter is we were still doing a lot of those things, what I would call the process of winning, pretty well, but we weren't quite getting the outcome. But what happens is I think as you start to, you know, become more accustomed to, to where you have previously been with regard to your position on the ladder, the outside and external noise starts to get to you and you start to have that self-doubt. And that was probably the period for me where I thought, you know what, I'm probably not in the right frame of mind or the right state at this stage to, to continue with this football side moving forward. And also physically, I mean, just talk about when you're, uh, when we're, when we're talking in public or, or, you know, corralling a lot of people, it, it produces adrenaline, cortisone, all that, all those sorts of things that are chemicals in our body mm. that can that can unbalance that. How do you manage yourself physically in that regard? Yeah, it's a good question. I've I had a period in 2016 where I really struggled with with what you're talking about. I went into a dark spiral, into a rabbit hole as such, and you know things weren't going well for me, you know, personally, professionally, and. I started to, to work a lot harder and, you know, once again, I was working harder for zero, zero results, so to speak. So what I sort of learned about myself in that time is I've got a system that I know that if I do these things and I call it Dimmer's Daily Philosophy to Happiness, which are five, five things that I do every day, that if I do those five things, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so it's exercise, journal, read, uh, two coffees in the morning and walk my dog with my partner. So, it's the 80-20 rule. If I do 80% of those things every day, I'm going to feel pretty good about my day regardless of how it went at work sort of thing. Because what I found that I was putting all my eggs into the work basket and if I had a bad day at work, I had a bad day after work as well. And I couldn't afford to put myself in that situation again. So I devised that little routine and funnily enough, most of those things I do very first thing in the morning. So I always feel like I'm getting up in, and starting in a good place and automatically feel like I've started the day really, really well. So because... General health and well-being, one of the things I've learned in my, my time in sport is if you don't take care of yourself, 
or if you haven't got yourself in a really good place, you can't have your side or your team in a very good place as well. So it's really important that the, the players and this team and the staff feed off my energy. So it's important that I've you know, got great vibrancy and great energy yeah. as well. And energy is an interesting, uh, it's just a, an interesting uh, topic, but let's go back to the, to sort of the start, 2009, wasn't it, when you started at the, the Tigers or thereabouts? Yeah. And you inherited, you know, a sort of probably a broken brand in a lot of ways mm. and a, uh, a very, very toxic culture. You know, I think that's open yeah. uh, news, all that sort of thing. And then take us through to 2016 where I think they had a review at that stage as to whether they were going to keep you or extend or whatever the case. Mm. At, at a time when you're going through a dark period, yeah. um, and then 2017, you win the, the you win the grand final. So yeah. it obviously came close to the wire. But what what happened in that that seven years? How did you, how did you change as as a, as a person? What did, and what did you need to learn? And what did you need to learn out of out of the the whole the whole uh, exercise in 2016? Yeah, there are a number of things, and it's a really good you know, story as such. In, in in essence, when you look back and. Yeah, one of the things I, I generally do is begin with the end in mind. So when, for example, I was fortunate enough to coach Richmond and, and take over that job, it was like, okay, what do I want it to look like at the very end? We're on the, the grand dice sort of thing with the Premiership Cup and then work my way backwards about how, how that looks and how that feels um, and create what, what I call a, a team identity, a team vision and a team environment. What, in essence, the Richmond Football Club would look like at our very, very best. And we sort of work towards that. Now, once again... The challenge in business, in life, in society these days is not to measure yourself when things are going well, but how is your organisation defined when things aren't going well at all? Like when you hit a bump or bump in the road or a pothole, how does your organisation or how do you self, how do you cope with that? And that was the one thing I will say that Richmond were very good at. We had a really good understanding about who we were and what we were, but in 2016, we didn't have a great year. Now, there's two things that happened. First and foremost, we made three elimination finals, so we were close, but we didn't get the job done. So I sort of looked at myself, okay, well, what I have to do is have a deep think about myself. And I thought, all right, what I have to do primarily is I've got to drive standards harder. I've got to be harder on this playing group to make sure we can make that next step. Um, and what I also did, the second part, is we needed to improve one facet of our game. So I spent 80% of our time on the 20%. And so what happened is I had only spent 20% of my time on the 80% that we're good at, and you know what happened? It all went to crap, the whole thing, because we started to work on some things that made a, a small difference, and we put all our time in that, but what we sort of forego, or what we lost, was we lost our strengths. So what the, the, the takeaway, let's talk about the transformation from, from, from your perspective. You transform yourself, you'll transform, transform them. Yep. You know, your energy will change and all of a sudden, okay, it's a new day. What, um, where did you start? Well, I started with a little bit of, you know, as I went away, is, is getting a deeper understanding of who I was and what I did and when I was at my absolute best and what that looked like. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that the, the club invested in me and they sent me over to Harvard to do an authentic leadership course. And, you know, it was funny, I was sort of sat there at the time and I thought, oh, I'm not sure I need this and... You know, I just wanted to stick around with the players, work on game plans, work on X's and zeros and all that sort of stuff. But it was without question the best thing I ever did because all of a sudden it gave me a greater understanding of how important connection and interpersonal and oneness was with your playing group. So I went away and I had a great, greater, you know, a deeper understanding of when I was at my very best and what that looked like and how I coached at my very best. And then I went back and I thought, okay, well, how can I implement what I just learnt 
into my playing group. And, you know, we were very fortunate. We, we sort of stumbled across this Triple H philosophy, you know, hero, hardship and highlight, which every player sort of spoke through. And it brought about a sense of, of oneness, you know, because the person out the front who told their story about their three things, the hero, hardship, highlight, was really important. But what stemmed from that is not necessarily listening to that person's story but then when they went around the water cooler, then speaking to the person and asking more questions. And so it developed this sense of connection that became stronger and stronger and stronger. And one of the best things I learned was you can be connected on the field, but if your team and if your unit's connected off the field, that's when better things will happen. You'll get so far, I reckon, on the field, but if your connection piece is really, really strong off, off the field, you're going to have an incredible performance boost yeah. on the field. Yeah, It's a vulnerability, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. Just it start is. with you. Yeah, it did. It didn't. You know, you know. Once again, without going into too much detail, there's some things that I really opened up to the side about. That um, you know, some things that you sort of look back in your journey and that had significant bearing on who you were as a person, and and sharing those, and you know, the the emotion that came with them, and you know, the tears that flowed as a result of those things. And you know, you you initially were quite. I'm not saying embarrassed about sharing that, but it sort of really, really opened you up to the side, and you didn't realise how much your, your team actually cared for you and vice versa. And it became really important part of the fabric of the Richmond Football Club. And, you know, it's one of the great things I, I learned in coaching is you can have the X's and zeros as much as you want. Now, everyone that takes over a coaching job or whatever is really, really smart, but it's the connection piece that you have with yourself and your playing group that is really, really important. And that's a difference maker in, yeah. in most of the great organisations. Yeah. We should all in business too. Then. Hey, guys, James back here. And I wanted to pause the interview at this little juncture because I think the the interview so far has talked about goal setting and I don't want to, I don't want to, like there's so much that gets covered in this discussion that I almost don't want to um, sort of move too quickly through something that is so important as what Damien has just alluded to, which is starting with the end in mind. Now, the reality is, as he said, a lot of people set goals, but not many people I think, can articulate their goals. Not many people write their goals down and an even fewer amount of people share their goals with someone. And, and I think there's a real power in that. So Damien talked about it when he was speaking with John there how he began with the end in mind, which for him was sitting on the premiership dais, lifting the premiership, and then he went a step further than that to, to actually visualise the the type of uh, type type of football and the way that they would play, the way that they would go about the game and and working with each other to achieve that. And my own experience with that is is number one, there is nothing more invigorating in your life than having a, a really clear set of goals that get you out of bed every morning. And if you're lucky enough that you've you've been able to set uh, a goal that's had the power to do that, to to wake you up with a with full of full of beans, ready to attack the day, and in fact motivated and excited to get into the day, there really is nothing better. And and most people don't experience that. And I think the the reason is that that they don't take the time to think about well, where do I want to be in ten years' time from now. And I, I write about this in, in my book, Bulletproof Investing, for those who um, ha have read the book. For those who haven't, don't worry, so I'm going to save you 10 pages right now. 
my uncle challenged me when I was 20 years old. He said, what do you want? And uh, it's a tough question to answer at any time in your life, let alone when you're 20 years old. And I think at the time I, I sort of was pretty much just focused on, on finishing university and, and having a bit of fun, to be honest. But he said to me, look, I see a lot of people just move through their life and they hit their 40s and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, they're in a rush to, to do things. They're just moving through without any clear direction or purpose. He said, what I would encourage you to do is think about, say, 10 years from now, what, what would you want your life to look like? And so I went away and, and, and I'll admit the first time around, a uh, pretty lousy answer. I, th- I think I might have said, I want to be a millionaire, something like that. And he, he almost laughed. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but it wasn't received very well uh, because he said to me, well, what does that mean? How does that change your life? And it's a valid point. What is being a millionaire? What does that do for your life? How does that positively change the joy that you get out of your life? It's, it doesn't is, is the answer. Um, and, and so he said to me, maybe, maybe the, the better way for you to frame it is where don't you want to be in 10 years from now? And for me, my own personal experience was I didn't, I, I, I wanted to have my own home and I didn't want to worry about money. So I guess I didn't want to be in the house that I was currently in. I was in a share house and I thought, look, when I'm 30, I probably don't want to be in the share house. That's probably going to, you know, have a lifetime of some sort. And then I started to think, well, you know, what what kind of house would I want to live in? You know, my own home with a a backyard and a pool and um, a a spare bedroom with an ensuite. And um, yeah, I'm starting to see hosting Christmases, you know, how good would that be rather than, you know, having to think about where we might be going or having to go to a park or something like that. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I might want. And if that home could be debt free, wow, that would feel like, uh, you know, a lot of the worry about money, uh, having a home, a roof over your head, a place to house family and friends with no debt, that's a lot of worry out the window right there. And so that to me was, was a bit of a starting point. And, um, and it's hard to do. It's hard to channel that side of our brain that has to think creatively and beyond the realms of what's possible today. I was 20 years old earning, I think, at the time. So how could I possibly achieve having my own home, let alone debt-free with all those wonderful things that I wanted? It was not possible, but we've got to to go to the other side of our brain, call it the left side and the right side of our brain. You know, we've got to channel the side of our brain that is not inhibited by, um, you know, where we are today and, and, and what we consider to be possible today. And then setting that goal, putting a time frame on the goal, the power in that to in, in so far as how it can then motivate us is, is really significant. Now, a lot of people have goals. And what Damien's going to talk about next is whilst a lot of people have goals, a lot of people don't achieve their goals. And the reason for that is where they choose to focus their attention and also what they do about the goal in terms of figuring out, well, I'm wanting to get there, I'm currently here, and this is a process or strategy. Damien calls it a process. Strategy is, is, is a similar sort of um, way to think about it that's going to actually kind of move me forward one step at a time from where I am today to where I'm trying to get to. It talks about the fact that you, you've got to sort of focus on 
that process, that strategy, not getting too focused on the outcome because that's when the anxiety, the worry, the all the self-doubt starts to come in. So look, I'm going to leave something in the notes, which is a goal setting workbook. If you're interested in setting goals, um, that book is my Bible. It's how, it's how I do it. Um, you know, I've always got a clear set of goals that I articulate and share with my wife and other trusted um, people. And I guess my last question too is, do you have a goal? And if you have a goal, is it written down? Because if you can't write down your goal with a couple of sentences and, and it paints a pretty clear picture, then I don't think you've, you've got a good enough goal. And then the second part is, can you articulate that goal to someone you care for and trust to share your goal with? Because that's the, that's the ultimate kind of sounding board around a goal is, is whether someone else that you care for and trust can hear your goal and say, yes, that, that's clear to me. Uh, then I think you're on, on the right track. But that was part one. So I don't, I don't want to hold us up anymore. Enjoy this second part of Damien's interview and then I'll be, up to, I'll be back to wrap it up at the end. Yeah. We said all in business too, the head and the heart. Yeah. So a lot of very wealthy people and it, it's all in their head. And it's yeah. unfortunately, they've lost their, their sense of feeling. Um, so they've lost any sense of vulnerability. And um, it's often said every spiritual practice or every practice is a spiritual one. Running a football club is a spiritual practice. Um, and spirituality, the, 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 the key to that is to literally downplay the ego. Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, the downplaying the ego is, starts with you. Mm. I'm, yeah. I've got, I've got, I've got vulnerabilities. I've got weakness. I've got all that sort of thing. And everybody starts to share and everybody, everybody comes together. It's, it's very, very powerful. And, you know, I've seen it in, 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 uh, so many ways and we, we practice it ourselves. Um, even with our clients, we, we talk about that. You know, being vulnerable is, uh, yeah, is, is being real. It is. And it's, it's funny. The, the opposite of ego is leadership, really, because, <laughs> Every great leader, I reckon, at one stage or another, and we all go through it, is you want to be the guy. Yeah. You want to be the guy that can solve every problem. I've got every answer and all that sort of thing. And one of the things that I that I learned, well, there's two things. Is one, I don't have to have all the answers. I've got people around that can help me. And two, my best form of leadership is stepping back so others can step up. But the, the test of that, as you mentioned before, is not when things are going well or pre-season. It's when yeah. um, you start losing, you know, uh, games and people start pointing the finger. Uh, so what's the What's the remedy, firstly, for you, you know, to go through those streaks? Um, you know, you, you're starting with the Suns and yeah. um, they had a good start, fell in a hole, things go yeah. pear-shaped. Yeah. Um, point the finger and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not just the playing team, it's everything around it starting to question, you know, yeah. themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So that's always the test, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and probably the first thing, first and foremost, is it's okay. Like uh, your organisation or your team is at some stage, you're going to hit a bump in the road. And acceptance of that is really, really important because if you don't accept it, you don't get to move on. So we call it B-game in theory. So it's the understanding about, listen, a loss is going to happen somewhere along the line and maybe two, maybe three. But at the end of the day, the cycle will come. If we just consistently understand, accept that it is going to happen and then eventually move back to what we can control, not worry about what the scoreboard says, we'll eventually get the required result and, and back into the process of winning. Because it's really important the players understand that loss and um, 
losses and mistakes are like a gift. The game plan, how relevant is that to, you know, I mean, you, you, you'll, you'll come with a your specific game plan and you think this is the game plan that's going to, you know, um, uh, get us to the, the, the final yeah. goal. It might take years, but you think this is, and so you're punting Absolutely. that. The relevance of that, as we've, you know, we've seen it evolve, you know, since 2008, 9, 10, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. What's the game plan? What, what, you know, what do you think is, what do you think's happening in, in that space? Yeah. Well, it's the same as I said previously. It's beginning with the end in mind. What does it look like on the big stage? And then working your way back through the process about how the players can understand how can we implement it? And then more importantly, how can we execute it on the biggest stage? And, and the challenge is, and I think the strength of it is under, understanding the fact that it's not going to work all the time, but if you sit there and you consistently do things, you'll get better and better. You look at, you know, most successful teams in, you know, world sport or businesses in general, every, everyone knows what they do. They just do it better than everyone else. And that's our challenge. And, and most of those, those things are born on the fundamentals of the game. Um, and it's like the fundamentals of life. We call them chop wood, carry water. You know, the better sides or the better you are, the more consistently you win is basically off of those fundamentals. Um, and that's the thing we, we consistently challenge our players with. At the end of the day, we want to be that good that everyone knows how we play, but we just do it better than everyone else and we execute it, you know, more consistently. But to do that, you're a need to required mindset to make sure that you're not focusing on the outcome because once again, your subconscious mind can only focus on one thing. And if you're straight to outcome, straight, uh, you know, anxiety and worry happens, just worry about what you can control. Don't worry about what the school board says. Just sit, sit there in that understanding about, listen, next contest, next play, next moment. Mm. We've got to do more than just tell them what to do, obviously. Yeah. So we've got to give them knowledge, skills and tools. Um, what have you tried this worked? I, I read, you know, previously mindfulness was, yeah. was something that, uh, that, that players, you know, merged to. And as we were chatting before about social media and the, the, the mental addiction, all those sorts of things. So what are the, what are the, what are the things that you're using that uh, get some traction with them? Yeah. We use a lot of things. It's, it's funny. I don't think there's probably a, a generation that's more disconnected than what we are at the moment with <laughs> social media, um, you know, People on their phones and all these sort of things. And, you know, the one thing humans crave is connection. So what we're trying to do is trying to get the players to, to, to steer away from their phones when they're at work, if that makes sense. So what we've created is connection spaces. So we, um, changed the environment completely at our work. So I've made it more open plan, more, um, little connection places where they, they have, games there like Jenga and Little Monopoly and stuff that brings people around a table. So what we tried to get them to understand is you can sit there and you can be connected via a phone and send a text message or you can sit there and actually have a conversation with someone and actually provide some sort of understanding. But funnily enough, a lot of the young people these days, they don't understand how to do that because they're heavily connected to their phones. Uh, and this is a great discussion that we're having now where people are saying it's okay to be not okay and, you know, to, or to tell people that you're not. Mm. Um, these are discussions that we were, you know, when we were growing up, if you just wouldn't admit that, <laughs> exactly uh, right. you know, anyway. And, 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 and on that note, you know, the evolution of football, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like watching the evolution of society in so many ways and football becomes a microcosm of it all. Yep. Um, uh, but, uh, what do you notice the changes, you know, in the language, in the, in the, uh, in the styles, you know, what, what, what advice are you going to give a, a young coach or a player who's just finishing, 
you know, on, on how to coach, what, what would you tell him to, 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 you know, trend towards, uh, to, you know, are the numbers, the, the playing style or all those sorts of things or what, what, what no, is he going to, what, what are they going to need? It's more the performance mindset, you know, and as you, you briefly touched on there, like, you know, when I was coming through, if you saw a sports psychologist or, you know, someone like that, it was seen as a sign of, of weakness. There's yeah. something wrong with you now. Now we sort of look at it as a complete opposite. You know, one of the things we first do is we speak about performance mindset and we have, you know, like our players have massage, have weights, they have skill sessions and we have two performance mind sessions a week. Um, because the fact of the matter is, you know, everyone always says, you know, the, the game's 90% from the heads up. But back in our day, we didn't train our mindset at all. And yeah. so that's one of the big things. You got punched in the head. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. Exactly. That was, that was your performance the, the mindset. Co- the, the, yeah. co- the coach told him, now go and punch that guy in the yeah. head because uh, then he'll be out for the rest of the game. Exactly. <laughs> but now now for us, it, it, it's more about, you know, your, your mind is so important because if you get this right up here, your body's going to feel better. Mm. You know, you're going to be clear of mind. You're going to be clear of thought. And you've got a great understanding about how to operate. Just one last thing before we go, uh, Damien, success. You've had success um, how slippery is that, um, is that edge? And, yeah. uh, and, and how much can that go to your head that could literally, cause a lot of people, um, their, their biggest issue is they implode after success. You didn't, you, you literally did it four times in a row. You, you know, minor, minor, yeah, minor creams in, in 18, yeah. you should have won it, but yeah. you didn't, but <laughs> you did it three times in a row. But what is, what is success? What is success, your definition of success, and how do you manage yourself afterwards? Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good, it's a good one because it is challenging because once again, ego is the, 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 the byproduct of success, if that makes sense. And, and we spoke to our playing and our whole group about two, two words, humble and hungry. You know, understand we were fortunate enough to experience success, but the fact of the matter is if you sit there and you consistently think about what that success looks like from that point of view, you got to get back to the process about how you got to that period. And that's just quickly getting back to being humble and hungry, understanding, yeah, I want to get that, that feeling again, that euphoria of being on the dice and celebrating and enjoying that aspect. But to get that, you've got to go back to square one and start again. And, you know, the, the, the best things about, about winning is the process of winning. Like I, I speak to the players all the time and I'm very fortunate to be a lot around some successful sides. And it's not the fact that you speak about the winning. You speak about all the things that are the byproduct of the winning, you know, the, the friendships, the experiences, the shared journeys, the, the hardships from what comes from that. But more importantly, you look at the very best people, it's the self-drive, you know, yeah. the, the fact that you want to get back there and you want to drive yourself to get there, but you've got to sit there and understand to do that, you've got to remain hungry. Because mm. if you don't remain hungry, if you sit there and are full, you're not going to get to where you need to go again. Look, I just really appreciate you, you being so candid and, and open up. There's some amazing takeaways for everybody, but uh, most importantly, you know, that, that we're real people having real um, issues. And as you say, it's about making the least of mistakes, mm. um, you know, and learning from them. And uh, uh, so, look, Damien Hartwick, I, I wish you the best this year with the, uh, with the Suns. Um, you know, it's uh, great to have you up on the, on the Gold Coast and uh, look forward to uh, your amazing success Continuing. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. I just loved that interview. I hope you got a, as much joy out of it, or even half, to be honest, as as I did. Uh, I've just took some. I took so many notes, and and you know what? I read Ash Barty's autobiography, and and she talks about a lot the fact that 
she spent a lot of time with the Richmond Football Club and Dustin Martin and Trent Cochin and some of the leaders within that club. Uh, between her stint uh, playing cricket and then getting back into professional tennis where she was ultimately able to win Wimbledon and, and the Australian Open and, and her end in mind was always Wimbledon. Wasn't the Australian Open? It was Wimbledon. That was the the championship that she wanted to win, and she very much was all about focusing on the process, spending enough time, you know, visualizing the the end. Be it, you know, like Damien Hardwick talks about being on the premiership dais, um, like Ash Barty would say, being on the the stand, you know, accepting the Wimbledon trophy at the most famous uh, of of stages in in world tennis, but. As Damien alludes to with, I just love chop wood, carry water, focusing on the process in terms of, right, well, what kind of game plan, what, what, is it, what, what, what do we have to be doing in order to be playing the type of football that would get us to being on that stage with, with the, the Premiership Cup? Or in Ash Barty's case, you know, what, what, would I, what kind of tennis would I need to be playing what would my game need to be look like? What would my fundamentals be, to use Damien's words, as she, you know, more or less word for word talks about in her own autobiography, what would I need to do and be, be, be sort of um, putting out on the tennis court in order to achieve that ultimate prize? And the, I guess the, the application for me, because I'm, I'm, I'm most interested in, in the, the way that you can adapt this to investment and, and building personal wealth and, and, and financial freedom. And the chop wood carry water for me is the habits and the fundamentals around an investment strategy. A strategy and a process are the same thing. And it's very true. There are really some fundamentals. And, and like Damien alluded to, Everyone's got the goal of being on the, um, you know, the premiership dice of winning. Everyone wants to win. But the reality is not everyone can and not everyone does. And, and then a, a step further to that, everyone knows what the best teams do. It's just that those, best, those better teams do them better. And it's very much the same when it comes to investment. Everyone knows what you've got to do. That's the reality. Everyone knows what you've got to do. The people who are in the top, say, 1% that have the most success of having, you know, enough income, say, in retirement to not have to sacrifice or, or adjust their lifestyle, uh, of being debt-free, you know, before they're 60, of, of having, you know, the, 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 the freedom and the, the independence that building wealth enables, is, is, it's the same things. They just do them better and more consistently. And I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I, I go through a property lens. Uh, but the fundamentals to me are five things. Number one, everyone knows that the value is in the land, in, in property, and specifically in capital cities. So you've got to buy land in capital cities. Everyone will tell you that. I know that the value is in the land. Everyone knows that. But only one in two buy land. One in two investors in property don't buy land. And yet that's one of the, the main fundamentals. So, so yes, everyone knows it, but most people don't do it or at least half don't do it. And then there's another third that buy in the regions, whereas 
again, you know, if you talk to most people, they say capital cities are where the jobs are. That's where the population goes. They always outperform the, the regions. But most, you know, there's a big chunk of people that don't do it. The second part is everyone knows that you've got to protect your cash flow. It's the oxygen of investing. If anyone runs into trouble, they go broke, they're forced to sell something, it's because they've had more expenses than income. It's, it's pretty straightforward. So again, everyone knows you've got to be cash flow positive or neutral. The cost of holding an asset uh, can't exceed the, the income that comes in off it. You've got to you know, be putting in as little of your own money as possible. Again, everyone knows it, yet in the property lens, one out of two property investors are not cash flow positive or negative. So, you know, everyone knows that the value's in the land. Everyone knows that you've got to protect your cash flow, yet one in two don't do those two functions. And then the final one is everyone knows that you've got to hold. You know, the money is not made in buying and selling. It's not timing the market, it's time in the market. You know, if you hold something for 10 years, you do well. Hold it for 20, you do even better. Um, everyone knows this, that compound growth is what is the real secret source. But again, you know, in a property context, the average property investor holds their property for six or seven years. And majority of the time, it's because they haven't protected their cash flow. They've run into trouble and they've, they've potentially had to sell. Potentially, they've seen these massive gains, you know, and, and they, they haven't, you know, kind of held on. And then, yes, that final thing is repetition. If you can own more than one, everyone, everyone again, knows that the more you can sort of own, if you can get a portfolio of three or four, buy one, as it grows in value, you get another. That's when you, you, you really make the money. You know, Warren Buffett, most successful investor in the world, has been preaching for decades, I think since the 1960s, about the power of compound growth. He says, you know, that, that, that his wealth is literally attributable to being born in America and compound growth. So it's been out there. Everyone knows about it. Yet again, in, in the property lens over the past 40, 30 years, in fact, the median house price has increased by more than 10 times, yet the amount of Australians who own one, two, three, four or more investment properties has not changed. In 1990, 8% of Australians own an investment property. Today, 8% of Australians own an investment property. And yet the median house price has more than increased by more than 10 times. 1% of all Australians own uh, three or more investment properties. That's the same number as 1990, yet the values have increased by 10 times. So, you know, everyone knows it, but the fundamentals, chop wood, carry water, most people don't do it. Uh, and then the last one is cycles. Everything cycles. Uh, you know, Damien talked about that, that, that sometimes you play really good football and you know, you've got a headwind and things just don't go your way. If you focus so, so wholly on the outcome rather than the process, the strategy, and with the understanding that everything cycles, what goes up must come down. You know, you've just got to ride out the cycles as best you can. That helps you to hold the properties in the, in the property context again. That help, helps you to understand that, you know, the cash flow rates go up and down. Interest rates over 10 years might be high for one year, low for one year, seven or eight years, they're going to be in that four to 5% range. You just got to ride the cycles. 
as rates are high, build those really good habits around frugality and then keep those habits when rates are even low. Everything cycles, but understanding the cycles, paying attention to them and writing them out is the fundamental to chop wood, carry water. So look, I, I'm, I'm overly passionate, I'm sure, for some uh, on, on this stuff, but I just took so much out of that Damien Hardwick interview. Uh, I, I said to John, I really just need to be able to share this with uh, the people that listen to the Double Shot, our listeners, because there's just so much in there. Um, so look, I hope you got a little bit out of it as well. If you're going to listen to it for the second or third time, I'd love to hear about it. If you've taken notes, likewise. And look, if you want more of the guests, um, that could be something that we look at as well. Any feedback is welcomed. Uh, but look, I hope you got, uh, you know, at least half as much out of this particular interview and, and my, I guess, take and perspective on it as I was able to, because there's just so much in there. Uh, you really don't need much more than what was just shared in this podcast, in my view, to be set up for success in whatever endeavor it is that you're chasing. So look, we'll be back to normal programming next week, but I hope you enjoyed the interview. I was slightly longer today, but I, I don't think I could have done it any shorter uh, and, and given that interview the justice that, that it, it needed. So uh, look, I hope you got, to, if you got to the end, I uh, hope you really enjoyed and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is thedoubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is thedoubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.